0: Roger.
1: I never drink water on tour.
0: All you got to do is just tap it in. I don't think the heavy stuff's going to come down for quite a while.
1: If you head ahead was a touch softer, I'd be in the fairway.
0: I never miss with the 7.
1: Well, hey there, golf fans. Welcome to the Good Lie podcast. I'm your host, Brennan Anthony. Joining me, as always, is my longtime brother, Colin Anthony. What's up, dum-dums? And mediocre golf expert, Rose. Gentlemen. <laughs> so we're back. Episode two. And uh, I think we're recording this late March. I think our first episode, which we recorded like a week ago, is dropping tonight. So, Ta-da. Fancy. We officially have two episodes, so that makes us a series. We've done more than one. Yeah, that's right. Congratulations, us. Well, it is getting to be an exciting time in the golf world. Congratulations, everybody. Welcome to Aerated Greens season. If you've done any golfing in March, you know that you're dealing with bumpy, sandy greens with lots of holes in them. It's a price we must all pay. Well,
2: at least it gives me an excuse for my putting At least this week.
1: That's right. Actually, I found that I was actually benefiting from the aerated greens the last time I played because I was smashing the shit out of my putts for some reason. And they absolutely died on that green as they hopped their way sort of toward the hole. Yeah.
3: I find the aerated greens more frustrating on chipping than I do putting just because you'll chip the ball out there and sometimes it'll just die. And other times it hits the edge of the hole and it takes off (laughs) something wild like that. It takes 40 feet left.
1: If you hit it short of the hole and you think, oh, this is dead on target, it could just like bounce left, too. It takes weird, (laughs) weird hops. And like I need other excuses for me to miss shots. Same. Anyway, it's an exciting time besides the aerated greens in golf because I think, I guess the biggest thing in all of golf, the Masters, is around the corner. I think we're about a week away from the Masters, and we will have a big guest for you, Jay Delsing. A PGA Tour golfer is going to join us later and talk about the Masters and storylines that are developing there and his personal experiences on the PGA Tour, which I'm excited about. But Colin, Rose, is there anything going on that you're excited about? I mean, Scotty Scheffler has emerged. Yeah,
2: golf news.
1: Yeah, Tada!
2: You know, Brent, we need a we need a fancy <laughs> drop for golf news.
1: Yeah, breaking news. Yeah, if you if you yeah. bear with me, if you vamp for a little bit, I can pull one up.
2: Yeah. So, uh, golf news. <laughs> there you go. <laughs> Scotty Scheffler is number one in the world. I find myself liking Scotty Scheffler in spite of myself because I'm a guy who does not like Captain America. I want my uh, golfers to have a little dirt under their fingernails, and he's such a uh, Bible-thumping Boy Scout that I have a little hard time wrapping my name. But he, I love watching him play golf, and he seems like such a genuinely nice guy. I like my golfer somewhere in the middle, though. you, know, you got Scotty Scheffler, who is a Boy Scout, and you've got like... Everybody who worships at the altar of John Daly, and I'm the only person on the planet, the only person in this state, as in we are seated in Missouri, that doesn't worship at the altar of John Daly. I'm like, well, John Daly is a cautionary tale in what not to do as a professional golfer. But everybody's like, hey, he drinks beer, smokes cigarettes, and tells stories. I'm yeah. like, that sounds like a loser at the golf course to me. You know what I mean? Like, he hasn't been relevant in 25 years, and you know what I mean? Like, it should have been relevant for much longer. But he pissed away off his career inside of a bottle and philandering around. I don't know why I'm going on a tangent on Don Daly. But like I said, I, Scheffler's too much of a Boy Scout. But don't get me wrong. I don't want to go that far to the other end where I'm like, oh, I love John Daly and all his many, many flaws.
1: The moral of the story is Colin hates everybody. <laughs> yeah, basically. Yeah. <laughs> I'm I'm
3: on the other side of that. I really love John Daly. I think that the only reason that he is as famous as he is is because he's a cautionary tale. But I, well, that's what I'm
2: saying. Like uh, he's was famous for all the wrong reasons. Ultimately, <laughs>
3: right. I was looking a lot more forward to seeing Kisner throw up the double finger, middle finger pistols at Scheffler as he walks off with the money after he won that match. But he just couldn't pull it out.
2: Yeah, Kisner is a. Uh, he's got some personality.
3: Yeah, And um, Like I'm a big kids fan.
2: He's one of those guys that, like, five courses on the tour a year. He is completely relevant because the sort they take sort of the distance out of the game, and he suddenly he is a top five golfer in the world. And then for the rest of the year, he just can't he can't do it. Because he doesn't have the distance, which is crazy to me. When you got guys like Bryson out there who can add yards and yards, everybody's adding distance to their game. I'm like Kisner, if you would just figure out a way to just add a little bit of length off the tee, like you might sneak into relevancy once in a while.
1: Yeah, and I mean, if you do the same math that Bryson DeChambeau does, where he calculates all the angles and does the trigonometry and decides, as we just <laughs> <laughs> said last week, smash the ball as hard yeah. as you can. Right, just
2: be a well, but. Maybe that's not a great plan either because, you know, Bryson would never admit this, but it's like maybe that swing's not sustainable because Bryson hasn't played many golf tournaments, you might notice. He's hurt, and he played this tournament. He played in the, the match play tournament here, and he looked rusty as shit. But I'm just like, yeah, maybe swinging out of your boots every time is hard on your body, perhaps.
3: There's also a physics element there. Like, Bryson's kind of a big boy anyway, even before he, like, bulked up. He wasn't, like, a small dude. And Kisner's, like, 5'8". Like, the only dude he looks over is brian harman i think
2: well and maybe he's tried to add speed and distance to his driver but if he hasn't at least tried that yet i mean like you're a fool man you are you are a tremendous golfer who just sort of got this little bit of a handicap because every time they play a course it sort of neutralizes that the bomber aspect of the game Kisner is competitive
1: no i'm sure colin that he's a professional golfer he's never considered hitting it farther
2: well i mean i i do think some of these guys are stubborn in that they've they've got their game and they're going to play their game and nobody's going to tell them to play it differently i mean you have that in all sports with all athletes and especially with coaches and stuff it's like nope this is the way to do it and the only way to do it and i refuse to do it any other way and i'm not saying that is kisner but if he hasn't considered you know picking up the phone and say hey bryson you want to help me out just like you don't need to turn into a you know Start injecting yourself with human growth hormones and become a monster like Bryson. But you know, like I just Kisner, I like Kisner. I just wish there was a way for him to sort of compete with those guys who have that distance. He, he has to rely on hitting 15
1: foot putts way too often. I do too. I tend to have to rely on those, and then I don't hit them. <laughs> well, Kisner which again are Kisner even does. easier for the, the greens. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> when the greens grow back, I'm not going to be able to blame them anymore.
3: <laughs> yeah. When you plinko it up there,
1: <laughs> I, was I don't like to
3: the sand laying on the green whenever I hit a shot into the green. I can see exactly where it drops because it makes that <laughs> splash
1: <laughs> and there's a little ball in the sand there. Yeah, cloud of sand pops up. Where do you guys
2: uh, land on, uh, on the Scheffler?
1: You like the Boy Scout? I mean, for me, the story on Scheffler's for so long had been like, he's so good. Everybody's going to see how good he is, but he just can't get over the hump and win one. He just can't seem to get over that hump. And now all he does is win them. And, you know, you talk call him a Bible thumper, but I can't help but think maybe Jesus sunk a few of those putts for him.
2: <laughs> <laughs> maybe, maybe so. Well, not like being a Bible thumb is a bad thing. I'm just like, my personal reaction to that is like, man, I just, I like a, a guy to have a few rough edges. Like I said, mm-hmm. not Daily rough edges, but rough edges. And he doesn't seem to have any rough edges. He just, but he's also seems to be like Jim Lane, one of the nicest guys ever. So like I said, it's
1: hard to dislike him. Well, Daley doesn't yeah, have any he, rough edges. He's just rounded edges. <laughs>
2: <Yeah>. <laughs> well, I, just, and I understand the infatuation with Daley because Daley makes everybody go, I'm not so bad. You know what I mean? Like he's got all the frailties I do. It's like why people hate Tom Brady and like Peyton Manning. It's like, yeah, those guys make you feel inferior. Not only are they good at their jobs? You know, they never shut off. They're watching film. They're in the weight room. They're working out. They make you feel like you're not doing enough and you're inadequate. Meanwhile, it's easy to root for Brett Favre because Brett Favre's a gunslinger and he's a pill head. He's sending his dick pics to reporters in the locker room. You're like, it's easy to go like, yeah, At least I'm not Brett Favre. That guy's a swashbuckling, you know, like he's, I don't know. It's easier to relate to that guy than there's a guy who works his tail off all the time. And so it's like, it's easy to relate to uh, John Daly because we've all been smashed on the golf course. We all like getting inebriated and smoking cigarettes when we can get away with it. When our wives aren't (laughs) looking. you know what I mean? It's good. Hey guys, this show brought to you by cigarettes. (laughs) I just just can't.
3: Scheffler like, pours me to tears. Like he... Uh, he, I don't know, like, you're right, he's a nice guy, and I don't really have anything particularly bad to say about him, but he just, he doesn't do anything for me, I don't get excited to even watch him play, like, he's kind of in the same ballpark as, like, Kucher for me, like, Kucher has that nice guy image, or always did anyway, and then he's Never does anything wrong, but he's not real exciting either. And then he like you know shorts a caddy out of a couple of grand and everybody acts like he's the fucking devil. Like that's the like that's the worst thing he's ever gonna do. So we're gonna crucify him for it.
1: I forgot about that. Yeah, he sucks. Yeah, like Scheffler's gonna
3: do the same. Like eventually eventually Sheffler's gonna like leave a shitty tip at a restaurant or something and they're gonna have it all over ESPN. Like it's gonna be the worst thing ever. Meanwhile, DJ's out doing rails off of a cart girl, you know, or something.
2: <laughs> well, you know, I do hate a bad tipper. But I will say this when I watched the match play with Scheffler this week, I was just like, I enjoyed watching him play because he's got a little of that JT bubble Watson. Like he will shape a shot. He will do some funky stuff sometimes. And it's, I, I just like the guys that get creative with their game. But uh, yeah, Kisner. I, the, the one of the best matches was uh, watching Deep J and Kepka butt heads. Like seeing a couple of big, you know, heavyweights slug it out. Yeah, two alpha males. Going yeah, out there. <laughs> you know, it took a couple of the big boys go at it, and that was a good match. It was entertaining.
1: It was. Guys, are you following the Tiger Woods May play in the Masters? drama going on i mean he's played a few practice rounds at Augusta, and everybody's got rock hard penises
2: (laughs) i think i I just i feel like tiger has to want people to know because if you're tiger woods you know a lot of very rich people and you could get on any of their jets to go to augusta but like the minute the engines fired up on tiger's jet everybody's like tiger woods look at it look at his flight path he's heading right to georgia (laughs) and they're like yep you know, then an hour later, it's all confirmed by every sports media out that Tiger Woods is walking a practice round at Augusta.
3: For him, it makes sense as far as a place to, if he's going to come back, because it, it's basically a home course for him. Like, Tiger's always owned Augusta. Outside of, like, his ability to just walk around the course, it's not a course that's physically demanding to play like the guys that do well there are more the ones that just know how to play it and tiger's one of those guys that knows where to leave the ball and knows how to hit into certain greens and things like that so it's it's not like he has to be a 100%
2: to play well there Some of the stuff I read, they act like Augusta is like walking, you know, a mountain in Nepal. You know, they're like, Jesus. I don't know how Tiger's going to walk around this mowed grass course. What are you talking? I mean, I understand. He's got a very serious injury, but they act like, you know, you ought to wait till like St. Andrews because it's a Lynx course and it's really flat and he'll have a much easier time. But I guess that's why I went to Augusta to see, can he tolerate walking the course? And then, you know, then obviously do it for four days. And then truth be told, I've never played in a golf tournament or had to walk for four days straight. But I'm just like... In the realm of professional athletes, I feel like walking a golf course, especially with a caddy holding your bag, can't be that taxing. <laughs>
3: <laughs> I mean, I've never had my legs shattered like him either, so I can't tell you, but yeah.
2: Well, I mean, just in gym or like, you know, by the end of a tournament, they're like, man, I'm just pooped. I just wore out. You know I mean? I had to walk 18 holes of golf for four days and straight. I'm just like, I feel like there's people that do like hard jobs every day that they'll just be insulted by the, uh, the very, uh, Mentioned that, you know, like walking a golf course while somebody else carries your bag is like physically taxing.
1: Well, I agree. I mean, I, I'm sure these guys will tell you why it uh, wears on you more than you think. But I mean, a few years back, I hiked three quarters of the way down the Grand Canyon with some buddies. Like, I'm fat, out of shape, and 40. And it wore me the fuck out, but I did it. And I'm like, that seems easier than walking the most beautiful golf course in the world.
3: (laughs) Then imagine somebody's dangling several million dollars in front of you.
1: Yeah, it seems harder than that. Anyway, I guess not. I don't know. It's hard for me to say. I don't know why everybody's getting so
2: excited, honestly, Brennan. I mean, what chance – Tiger hasn't swung a club in like an actual real tournament in 17 months. I mean, other than the father-son thing, which isn't really a real tournament. Even if he does show up to Augusta and can walk the course, what are the chances that he is even remotely
1: competitive? No, none. Well,
3: according to to Vegas, it's plus (laughs) 6,000.
1: Yeah. Well, I – So,
3: which – Sounds like a lot, but there's only about 20 guys that have better odds than him, and everybody else has worse odds than him. So,
2: well, I'd never say never when it comes to Tiger, but it's not like when 2019, where you know, I mean, like he'd been playing good golf for several weeks before the Masters. You know what I mean? In this case, it would be the first golf tournament he plays, and barreling towards two years, and he's got a bum leg. I mean, it's pretty. It's a pretty long shot. I mean, I. I mean, if he makes the cut, honestly, I'd be shocked.
1: Yeah, honestly, I think Tiger's plan, long-term strategy, is that he's just going to lay off of golf competitively for a while, but always play the Masters. And I think his competitive juices get going, and he's like, I'll just give it a shot this year. And the doctor's are like, probably not going to happen. He's like, I think I'll just give it a shot this year.
3: He basically said, like, I'm too damaged. I'll never be able to play, like, a full schedule again. But I intend to fully, like, if I can compete, pick and choose, which basically to me means he's going to try to play, like, most of the majors. The big, you know, some of his yeah. big tournaments and stuff like that when he can well, and honestly, and that'll be
2: about it. Honestly, without injuries, I wonder if Tiger would have been doing that anyway. I mean, he's coming to a mm-hmm. point in his career where it's like, I don't think he's going to show up to the Valspar. You know, I'm going to come to the masters and I'm going to come, I'm going to come to all the majors. I'll come to the players, but I just, mm-hmm. there's a lot of golf tournament. You know, the Honda classic is not going to see much Tiger Woods, even if he's healthy. <laughs> right.
1: I think he looks at Phil Mickelson, just like screwing around and winning a major at 50 and thinks, you know what? If Mickelson can do it, I can too, because I'm Tiger Woods.
3: Well, you got Mickelson doing like the senior tour too, or Like you're, I, I would be shocked. Like you'll never see Tiger on the senior tour. It's just not, I don't think it's in him to be able to do that. You know, it'd be like asking Jordan to play a pickup game. Really just I don't think it's going to happen.
2: I don't know. I yeah. could see Tiger doing it as he gets really older. And if he really starts to, cause he is, he's a super competitive guy, you know what I mean? Once he's, done playing on the PGA tour and just physically cannot do it at the PGA level, I could see him like as a 60 year old going out and playing the equivalent of the, of the senior tour majors and that alone or something like just seeing if he can go kick their heads in.
1: I tend to agree with that because I feel like all Tiger Woods has done since he has been three years old is play golf. It's all he knows. (laughs) And so, I mean, is he going to hang it up and just play golf in Arizona with a bunch of old retired guys and yuck it up? Or is he going to like win, want to win trophies? Like all he knows is like, well, Slutting throats and winning he's gonna, trophies.
3: He's going to look like an asshole when he goes out on the senior tour and Bernard Langer at 80 is paddling his
2: ass. And <laughs> <laughs> <When> Bernard Langer <laughs> could do it. That guy is, him and that Peminez.
1: Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Hill. every
2: time I turn on one of the champions tours, that's those are the two guys fighting it out. And occasionally Bernie and or, or Duvall or somebody's hanging around, but I
3: appreciate in hell. He's, he's got that. He's always got like a stogie in and a cognac in his glass. And he's like, Living the golf
1: dream. I know, and it's like it's ponytail. I'm <laughs> I'm stoked this weekend for seniors golf more than any because I played Grand Bear in Social Mississippi, which is where they're going to be playing this weekend at the I think the Rapsicon Systems Classic, which is a terrible name. But anyway, <clears throat> it's the first time I've ever watched a PGA event on a course that I've played on, or you know PGA Champions event, I guess. But anyway.
2: How many shots in your par were you, Brennan?
1: You know what? I'd finished over par, snuck over par, but honestly, I played a lot better (laughs) for me than I usually do. I mean, I was playing out of my head, which still meant like, you know, I think a front nine, I had a 43. I was thrilled about. Anyway, it's a pretty course and it's Southern Mississippi, so it's pretty flat but it was challenging, but it's beautiful. And so it's, I'm, I'm excited to see guys who actually know how to golf tackle the same course that I once played on. Not all that long ago, it was over Thanksgiving break. So I'm going to take you down there one of these days, Colin, because, uh, the, oh, uh, you're just going to tell Rose to eat shit, I guess. I was planning on t- telling Rose to eat shit. Yeah. Yeah. The well,
3: stepchild of this group. here.
1: <laughs> well, the, yeah. the thing is the old lady is from Mississippi. So her parents literally live like five minutes from that golf course and it's super easy to get on anyway i don't know why i don't spend all my winter down there golfing whenever it's freezing up here and every blade of grass is the color of brown
3: i've never seen a, a course on tv other than the like tiger scores and Branson we discussed last week that that i've played um i think we're going to attempt to play one when we go to scottsdale uh later this summer but that would be a first for me
1: yeah i'm excited to watch this because it's it's new for me too and i don't know i mean there is something about those nice courses it's it's like a different game than the munis mm. or the the locals that you might be used to i mean the greens are the biggest thing I think for for me it was just like You just tap the ball lightly with your putter and watch it sail for 20 feet. (laughs) Anyway, guys, you want to wrap this up maybe because we uh, talk about the Masters. We have an actual PGA professional and Jay Delsing on the line with us next. He played over 500 PGA events and now he's got a radio show out of St. Louis and uh, he's going to break down the Masters for us when we come back from break and then we will regroup and uh, check out on our own golf game. See if we're about ready to join the tour ourselves. This is a Good Lie Podcast. I nutted
2: that thing. I mean, I nutted it.
1: On the line with us now, we have Jay Delsing, PGA professional radio guy. He does it all. He's uh he's our golf expert. Jay, thanks for being on the show.
0: Oh my gosh, Brandon, thanks for having me. And if I'm your golf expert, Ben, we can get you a better list.
1: <laughs> we are Thrilled to have you on the show, and you're going to give us a lot of insight that uh, we're just a bunch of duffers. We don't know what we're doing, so anything you can provide is always welcome. And we thought, you know, the show is brand new, obviously. This is going to be our second episode, and we wanted to launch this around the Masters because it's obviously one of the biggest events surrounding the golf year. And as the Masters is approaching, there's a lot of buzz going on. Tiger Woods has been practicing. I mean, Phil Mickelson is out. When you're looking at this year's Masters, and I think it was the first year we're going to have it at the normal time, what storylines are exciting you?
0: Oh, my gosh. Well, I mean, you have to. I'm amazed that Tiger's down there trying to see if he can walk around there because, you know, everything he does is so secretive, but it makes it so newsworthy. I mean, the guy pokes his head out of the window and the the entire world, you know, pays attention to it. So that's kind of fun. You know, it's hard to go anywhere without talking about Phil and, and this Oh man, I, I mean, it's it's way too big to say he put his, his foot in his mouth. It's it's just, he, he's been living fast and free for a long time with, with his words. And I think they'd finally come back to, to really bite him. And um, so it's really odd that, you know, Phil won't be playing. This would have been his 30th Masters. He's won the championship three times. It makes you wonder, is he suspended from the PGA Tour? Because when we, we do not um, make public, the suspension so there's a guest factor going on I don't think there's any question in my mind and in anyone else's mind close to this that he will be suspended or he is suspended and you know Augusta is a sort of place Brandon that they can tell you like hey man we do not want you and your baggage driving down Magnolia Lane you know turn your ship around and uh, we'll let you know when you can come back they can do whatever they want they pretty much do so those are the two biggest ones and those are all kind of the drama that's around it but When you talk about playing, I mean, it's really hard to not bring Scotty Scheffler into the mix. The guy has just played so well. He's such a stud around the greens. He's got um, the heart of a lion. You can't wait to see what it's going to be like for him playing his first masters. And you have Hideki defending the title and he's been playing some good golf. So I can tell you this, Brandon, for the betters out there, for the folks like to bet. I know it's probably not you or any of you guys. Oh,
1: sure. Sure. But
0: uh, Anybody, you know, guys, 80% 80% of the winners at Augusta come from the top 16 in the world, 80% of the time. So, if you're going to throw a couple of nickels down there, pay attention to the top 16. It's not all that creative, but that's what the numbers have played out in the last recent history.
1: You know, you mentioned Scotty Scheffler, and he was a guy who people had been talking about that this guy is going to break through one of these days. He's going to get a win on the tour, he's the next best thing and it didn't happen, it didn't happen, and then all of a sudden, three big wins just within the course of a few weeks of each other. What do you think is clicking for him, and do you think this could carry over into Augusta?
0: You know, Augusta typically takes a, a couple of times around there, at least. You know, Fuzzy Zeller, I think, wanted his initial voyage through there, but not very. it doesn't happen very often. I think Scotty did play, has played in the, the Masters before, probably not Playing in it with this kind of pressure and also with this on this kind of role. I mean, he won at Phoenix, beating Patrick Cantlay, then he wins at Bay Hill in a brutal, brutal Sunday where he really showed a lot of guts. And then uh, to win in the match play, which is a marathon, Brandon. It is a long, long ass week. It's not a typical week for tour players. They don't like breaking their routine, and so it does show you that he is a certainly flexible and certainly has the mind to withstand some of these things so it wouldn't be out of the question you also have to remember about scotty that he was chosen on the most recent Ryder cup team when the u.s routed the hell out of the euros he was chosen obviously because he's playing well and a great player and was right on the cusp of earning his way on anyway but captain stricker picked him to mostly play with Br- uh, Brace and de chambon because de is a force to be reckoned with and he's not a guy for everybody You know, and it shows you that Scotty's kind of got this, oh, we'll just let this thing roll off my back, like, you know, water off a duck's back, and and, uh, we'll go out and kick some ass. And he did just that. So it's going to be intriguing. I know I'm kind of walking the fence here on Scheffler. I don't know what to expect. I have this gut feeling that tells me, He may play well, but he's not going to win.
1: Folks in the St. Louis area who are golf fans know who Jay Delsing is, but if some of the listeners from other parts of the country may not be familiar with you, well over 500 starts on the PGA. Tell us, how is preparation different, or is it any different, approaching a major event as opposed to a week-by-week, regular season PGA Tour tournament?
0: Yeah, so one of the things, Brendan, that's so different about the Masters is that the venue itself never changes. Now, there are idiosyncrasies within the course where they're messing around with tee times or redoing team grounds and uh, changing greens all the time. But for the most part, you never go and play the U.S. Open on the same venue year after year after year. And it doesn't happen with any of the other majors. And so there's kind of a mental screw it messes with you a little bit with Augusta because if you watch the guys in the preparation, everybody knows what to expect over there. They know where the flags are going to be located. They know, you know, if I, if the flag sticks here, I need to be coming in from there. The problem is, and the thing that messes with your mind so much is that you know it, but you can't do it, you know, and and a select few can do it when they want to do it. And that's the hardest thing about golf. So in terms of prep, yeah, the British Open is different. There's a lot of when when you're working on your short game on a US Open compared to a to a Masters, the US Open is gonna have hay around the greens, Brandon. So you are gonna be make, making long explosion type bunker shot type swings around the greens at the US Open. In a Masters, you may use a few of those, but you're doing a lot of bump and runs. You're using a lot of the ground to try to help get the ball to go here and there. That's one of the reasons Especially early in my career, why the Europeans had such a dominating time at Augusta, where you saw Sevy win all the time. You saw Langer win twice. You saw Ola win twice. You saw Faldo win twice. Because those conditions fit the Euros a little better around the greens than it did us, because we don't see those conditions that often.
1: Man, it it is so different from what we saw Like in the windy conditions we saw a few weeks ago where everybody was hitting in the water. It's a completely different type of game.
0: Oh, yeah. Totally different. You know, totally different. So you go from the Players' Championship, again, from a betting perspective, Brandon, you go from the Players' Championship where it is the most wide open field and the hardest to predict all year. That's where you'll get a, a champion like Tiger Woods, and you'll get a champion like Stephen Ames or Craig Perks or Fred Funk. It is not like that at Augusta. You don't. It happens occasionally, but not that often. Usually comes from the studs and the top 16 in the world golf rankings. And so the golf course fits a real certain type of player. Lee Trevino, Hale Irwin, these great Hall of Fame players never had great success at the Masters. They weren't high ball hitters. They couldn't get their ball. They couldn't control their ball around the greens and things like that. It made it very very difficult. But then you would see a Lee Trevino do well. In a British Open and win that championship because he could hit some of those low shots. The balls cannot be hit low into these greens down in Augusta, Brandon. They have to be hit up in the air, and they have to, a lot of them have to have a certain amount of carries on them. And Trevino was a great ball hitter and a great player, but he had a low driving shot in there, and that does not play well to those uphill greens and whole locations.
1: Well, you teased out Tiger Woods. <laughs> He's getting everybody excited being out there. Do you think there's any chance that he's teeing up on Thursday?
0: I didn't think so until now. I mean, he doesn't do stuff on, on a whim or, or by accident. So the fact that he's down there practicing, he's he's given himself a good a good testing. He's probably going to play, walk 18-0. Walking in at Augusta is brutal. It is really super hilly. The TV doesn't do it justice. It is like a ski slope. But going down number 10 is dramatically downhill from right to left it is a haul it is not easy to walk around there and you know you're talking about a practice round on tuesday maybe the par three maybe not the par three but you're talking about a lot of physical exertion that a guy like tiger in the hay in his heyday was no problem because he was the most fit guy in the field now that is not the case with what his body's been through.
1: Well, we got a PGA veteran with us. I just want to ask you, because this is a great opportunity, what's your favorite course that you played on? And like I said, I think 565 career starts in the PGA. Do you have a place that is near and dear to your heart?
0: You know, I I, I played the U.S. Open, played at the, at the AT&T tournament out at Pebble Beach probably 26 times. I played in the U.S. Open in 92 out there. And so I'm really, really partial to Pebble just because it's so beautiful, the history, of the golf course, you almost feel like God himself is the course architect. But man, in terms of success, and I don't know why, but man, when I went to the TPCS Southwind at at Memphis, I always felt like I had a chance to win. And I hold a bunch of the scoring records there still at this old geezer age of mine, but um, (laughs) I never did win down there. So I don't know. It was just fun for me, Brandon, to play the PGA Tour. I I loved every minute of it and um, just felt like I was extremely lucky and fortunate to be able to do so.
1: Well, we're extremely lucky and fortunate to have you on the line with us. Jay, thank you. I hope you'll be back as the season goes forward. And if you want to hear more from Jay Delsing, he does a golf program in the St. Louis area on Sundays from 9 to 10 in the morning. Golf with Jay Delsing. On
0: 101 ESPN, you can find the podcast. We drop it the next day as a podcast anywhere you find your podcast. But, Brandon, thank you so much for having me on the show best of luck to you guys and uh hell yeah i'll come on again
1: yeah absolutely and we're going to be talking missouri golf as much as we can and uh jay delson is a great resource for us so thanks again jay appreciate it
2: pleasure grip it and rip it
1: and we are back it's interesting to listen to a guy who actually knows what he's talking about talk about golf because it's a uh, and it's way more informative than talking to you guys. Yeah, well that's a that's a pretty low bar. Yeah.
3: <laughs> yeah, I suddenly feel inferior as the, the supposed supposedly golf expert on the show.
1: Yeah, that's right. <laughs> yeah. Rose, you were making fun of Colin for asking which club you were favoring middle of March last time we talked. Have you been playing much golf since then?
3: I played today, which was interesting. Um, I think I, I believe Colin played today as well. It was a bit windy here, uh, very windy here in the area of greens. It was challenging. Played pretty good for the conditions, though. I felt like I was beating it all over the place, but the score wasn't terrible. So I'll take
1: it. Yeah, I was the same.
2: way. I only played nine because they were literally in the process of working on the greens on the the back nine. But despite the win was just atrocious. And, and so really, at the end of the day, I was like, you know, that's not a bad score considering... But I had like a the first par three, it was like a I hit an eight iron and aimed right of the pin and really hit a nice shot and just watched the wind carry it right off the green. I mean, I got up and down for par, but it was just like that was a really good golf shot. And like I even accounted for the wind. It was just blowing so hard. I could not hold the green. It was so frustrating. And then on another hole, the wind blew my putt 24 inches at least. It was one of those elevated greens like sort of a titty out in the middle of the golf course and the wind just caught the golf ball and just moved it to the left i'm like jesus jones i didn't even want to. i was i was honestly by the end of the, the round i was in a hurry i was rushing because i just want to get off the golf course like is, these are not the conditions i want to play golf in
1: well in missouri i think the gen handicap season opens up early march right like when you can like if you yeah if you golf in february those scores don't count if you golf in march they do right I don't know that they, I feel like that's a little early because <laughs> the, the conditions this week, you know, the whole reason they shut the handicap season down is because in winter, the conditions are so poor that it affects what your average golf score might be. But like, I don't think March is any better, not in Missouri.
3: They you wait till after aerating season.
1: <laughs> yeah. No kidding.
3: Around today, it was typical of this time of year though. Like it was some of the most awful shots imaginable, you know, like just Beating them all, and this goes for me and the two guys I was playing with. Like just beating them all over the place. I think on uh, on number six where we played. It's a par three over some water. I bet I pulled it twenty yards left of the green. Uh, it was about pin high, and then I chipped it in. So a horrible shot followed by a decent shot. My buddy that I was playing with did a similar thing on a par five. We had he hit a all right drive followed by a top three wood. He was 123 yards out under a tree, had hit like a punch seven iron, made it. So it's. Like we have these, a couple amazing shots on the round, but most of it is just absolute trash the entire day, but it made it kind of eventful, So it was fun.
2: Well, the first hole I played was par five and the wind was at my back. And I really didn't think much of it at the time. Cause it, I just, I don't know, because I guess it was at my back. I didn't realize how hard it was blowing. And of course it, it really helped my drive. And then I hit a as good, a five iron shot as I'm ever going to hit. And, you know, it was on the fringe, you know, putting for Eagle. Now, albeit a very long putt, but it ended up finishing up for birdie. So I started my round with a birdie, which is, those are pretty rare for me. And so I was really excited. And then it just was, I mean, like I say, it was all downhill. It wasn't really downhill, but it's just the next hole was another hole with the wind at my back.
1: And the rest of the day, it was just a huge crosswind. And it was just miserable. There's a Muni that I practice on. Like in my lunch break, I go on a chip and putt and hit the driving range and the conditions were so lousy today that I was just like chipping onto the green and the green is... In garbage condition because it's just been aerated, and there was like an old guy on the course with me, and he was belly aching about it being aerated. He goes, this green's so trashy that the aeration holes from last season haven't even healed over, and they're aerating again." You know. <laughs> yeah. Anyway, I mean, I had the same thing calling where a putt just like I, could, I saw the wind just like move it, and I'm like, I didn't know that the wind could move your putts so <laughs> significantly. And so, like, the, the, I was wondering why there was nobody on the range, and then after the like, dealt with that wind, just like and the. <laughs> Practice green. I was like, "Yeah, no, this is this is garbage." You hit it straight, and then you just watch it sail off.
3: Today was up there as far as the wind goes. It was getting with it. Well,
2: that's what I mean. I I mean, I've I've got a membership. I can just leave, but I didn't. I just rushed. You know, I mean, like I can't wait to get this done with this, but I made sure I played the rest of the round. But yeah, it was. They were not ideal
1: conditions. I'm just desperate for green zoysia grass to arrive at some point. (laughs)
2: Honestly, I was just happy with the way I was hitting the ball today because we, me and Brendan, played on what was it Sunday. And we both just played a miserable round of
1: golf. Terrible. <laughs> <You>
2: know, <just laughs> I awesome, quit keeping awesome score. Awesome. And really, you know, I got home and it's like, man, I hate golf. I just, why don't I know why I spend all this money on it? You know, and then I go hit and hit and hit and hit. And then I finally got back on the course today and like everything's better, you know. And you're like, well, I got this whole golf thing figured out. But I <laughs> didn't give it up based on Sunday. And then I'll go out again this Sunday and just go be back to being like, oh, I hate golf. I don't know why I spent all this money on it.
1: Rose, if you ever I don't wanna, think that ever goes away. Rose, if you ever want to make money betting on Colin or against Colin Goffin, I'll tell you, the second he calls me and tells me, hey, I got my swing figured out, things are really working, I got my <laughs> irons going, I'm just hitting them flush every time. The next round, that's when you want to play him because he is gonna fall <laughs> apart.
3: <laughs> I'm gonna fall I've apart. I've always appreciated like the. client watch. I, you can always tell when he's, he's coming in hot. He's he, he's ready to go. He thinks he's got the swing down like two holes in. He's like, man, I really thought I had this. I was going to play well today.
1: <laughs> I just pushed I it into a myself. cow. Like,
3: you know, I woke up. You know, I had a good rain session. I woke up. I thought I'm going to do good. and I'm you know six over after the first
2: three holes. Like fuck, let's go home. It's Amazing to me how good I can feel about my swing, and then just completely lose the next day. I there are certain things that I know I'm going to do, but I just my swing isn't become muscle memory yet if that makes sense. You know what I mean? Like I have to figure it out every single round. And I'm sure that for our scratch golfers listening to this, they, they shake their heads and disgust at me, but I'm just like, I'm, that's where I'm at with my game. It's like, I, I can, I can hit the range and I can find it. And once I found it, I've had it for the day, typically, you know, more or less, but I have to find it every single time.
3: It seems to be like a, I don't, there's never like a balance with it anyway. Like, I guess you maybe get there once you get to a certain point, but like, like today, I played pretty well. I didn't feel like I felt comfortable over the ball or made one swing that I felt, you know, felt like my natural swing. Other days, I feel like I'm striking the ball great. You know, all my swings feel good, and I'm just not scoring, and I can't understand why. Like just something is, you know, preventing me from scoring well, and I'll shoot a much worse score than I did today in these atrocious conditions with an awful swing. It's just Golf is hard. Golf yeah. is really hard.
1: <laughs> yeah. I, I <laughs> analysis, know it's hard. I know exactly what you're talking about, Rose. There were, it was like a three-round stretch where it w- my scores didn't look much different than my normal scores, but – I felt like I was battling every hole, you know, just battling to get it to the green and get it in the damn cup and like exhaling when I finally did. And then other days I feel like I right away from the first tee box, you can just take a practice swing and be like, Oh, this is just like a hinge. It does the same thing every time it feels natural and you have a fun day and things go relatively well. But there are those other days where it's just like, I don't remember how to hit golf balls. Like, what is this club in my hand? I don't know how it works.
3: (laughs) right and it, it seems to like go that way for the professionals too like they do the same shit
2: well I'll tell you what if you've been watching uh if uh Jordan Spieth played golf lately like he's obviously forgot how to do it so is uh Tony Finau like they just like oh, I forgot how to play golf right it's well even
3: uh even the match play like we were talking about earlier uh, Kisner couldn't miss for the first however many rounds you know however many matches he had and then on that last one he just seemed like he was off just nothing was landing like it was before and you, you just lose it. It's the strangest thing
1: in the world. One of the first golf uh, tournaments I remember even watching was with Colin and and our dad. And it was the, uh, it was the Greg Norman masters where he just collapsed. You remember this Colin? One
2: of the first golf tournaments I can truly remember watching.
1: That's what I'm saying. It was it for me. And I, I just remember like, Greg Norman was destroying everyone. You know, everybody in the world was watching that golf tournament, and then he just fell apart and just absolutely collapsed and decided the only way he could fill his vacant soul was to take tons and tons of dirty blood money from the Saudi Arabians.
2: (laughs) If you, if you like, uh, if you want to do a deep dive in like news articles and just read about like Greg Norman, there is, he is just like one of the most vapid. Arrogant, you know, horses asses that golf has ever created, and there's a lot of arrogant horses asses in the world of golf. And so, for for Greg Norma to sit upon the top of that pile is pretty impressive. <laughs> whole third leg, what do they call him, third leg, Greg. Yeah. He's also supposed to have a, supposedly got a giant honker on him. Yeah. yeah. Whose horse is that? <laughs> <laughs> I appreciate that Cheryl's
3: dad would sit down and watch a, a golf tournament with you. If I asked my dad to do that, he would call me a bunch of offensive names and put on NASCAR or something. He's no interest in we're doing that at all.
1: Dad wasn't particularly a huge golf fan, but that was a hell of a tournament that weekend. I remember that was just like one of those. I feel like back in the day. Before there were 600 cable channels and streaming services and YouTube and everything, there were certain events that just people just watched, you know, and like the Indy 500, like you didn't have to care about Indy racing, but you watched the Indy 500. And the Masters was the Masters. And I don't know, they're just. Things like Yeah that. we always watched I mean I watched the. I watched more Masters golf I mean because I really Didn't watch
2: a lot of golf When I was that age But I we always watched The Masters At least the final round It was Sunday mm-hmm. And the Masters was on You know what I mean yeah. And that's what you did Yeah football was How awful
3: on. was it to watch The golf before high definition <laughs>
1: <laughs> it was like watching hockey. Where's the puck?
3: Right. <laughs>
2: Where's the ball? I don't see it. I don't understand why they don't do the shot tracer on every single golf shot. Nothing infuriates me more than golf broadcasting. Like one, like I, they did something this week that I saw that I very rarely really see. They literally had lines on the fairway with yardages on them. Like here's the 250, here's 275, here's 300. So you could actually see – the ball carrying 310 and then see what it runs out. I'm like, the whole name of the game is distance. It's what everybody wants. It's what every, Everybody loves watching the big bombers. Why are you guys not constantly feeding us data on how bombed these drives are? And it they was, don't always
3: put it, the best rounds on either. Like, they'll, it's like they pick, I know they pick out certain guys they're going to follow because they have, you know, the, the way they air it, you can just follow like a threesome around the course or whatever. But some dude may be setting a course record. They're doing all, all this amazing shit and they'll never show him. They just talk about it, but they'll never put it on TV
2: some of the broadcast stuff just drives me crazy i'm just you know why are we not shot tracing every like and this shot trace brought to you by you know name sponsor here like why are we not shot tracing everything why do i have to watch a guy swing because i can't see the ball no one can see the ball they obviously have the technology to do it why aren't they and don't even get me started on like what is the golf channels or sports center golf central yeah if i want to go to (laughs) sleep and i mean in a hurry i turn on (laughs) golf central Like, hey, let's find the boomeriest boomers ever to talk about golf in the most boomeriest, sleepiest, boringest way ever. Perfect. That's what we're looking for. (laughs) The
1: the guys Uh, who do the Golf Central show, Colin, they're also having their heyday in the real news right now because I feel like most of the cable news networks, you know, they want them to be young, they want a diverse cast of newscasters, you know, they've got people from all over the spectrum. And now that there's like a big war in Eastern Europe, like in the 1980s, they're marching out these 70-year-old white guys (laughs) (laughs) because that is their domain, man. You want to know about Cold War stuff, you get a 68-year-old guy who does nothing but watch the History Channel, and (laughs) they're having their day.
2: Take a seat, son. We well, got
1: this. It's the same guys on the Golf Central,
2: <laughs> NBC, CBS, Golf Central. They 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 need a Charles Barkley so bad they just they don't even want to consider it. I mean, they it would, I'm sure we blast me, but it's like you guys are putting us to sleep. And Nick Faldo is the god. Joe but a guy who gets sick of talk hearing talk about golf or lack thereof. I've never heard of a guy. Play so much golf and have so little to say about
1: it. i was just gonna say well, he's
3: a he's like known to be a pretentious ass. Also,
1: you talk about them needing a Charles Barkley. I think they got burned with Faldo. You know, like here we're gonna get a colorful former golfer to give us analysis, and I do love it whenever they have Faldo on because they're like, well, I don't love it, but when they're like, <laughs> <laughs> no one loves him. Like, <laughs> well, it's, it's like a tricky shot. You know, say a guy like, he was supposed to hit the green, but he it rolled off, and he's got a tr- tricky chip out of the bunker, and they go, well. Fal- Faldo. Faldo, what is he thinking here? What is he going to do? Well, he needs to chip it in and make the putt. Oh, all right. Well, that's great analysis, asshole. Of course he does. We'd all love to hit the ball in the hole, but tell us how. They wanted to Barkley.
3: they got a John Madden.
1: Yeah, (laughs) that's right. Faldo eating a turducken. That's what we need. All right, fellas. We're a week away from the Masters. It's coming up. We're going to we're gonna be live now. We're a real show. And people listening to this, they're probably hearing these and thinking, like, what are they talking about the match play? That was a week ago. What are they talking about the players? That was two weeks ago. We've got to launch this son of a bitch. So the, the first couple may be a little bit delayed. But we're coming to you weekly. And from now on, they're going to be, lo- you know, <laughs> in the proper week in which you're watching golf, we'll be talking about it. So, Oh, before we do sign off, I was about ready to end this show. Colin, you had a segment you wanted to add. I think it was the Douche of the Week segment?
2: Yeah, because golf is so full of douches. You know what I mean? Like, that's, there's no sort of douches in the in the world of golf. Like every week, somebody's being a horse's ass in one way or another. Hmm. And this week, the douche of the week goes to like Lee Westwood, who got in a Twitter spat with a with one of the golf journalists. Just threw a bunch of what and basically because the guy's calling him out. Well, the guy basically sort of made a remark about him being you know nobody wants to see him. And then some other old guy battled it out on the, in the Saudi league, and he accused this guy of ageism. And they just went at it. I don't know. I, I have more respect for some of these guys. Guys, if they would just say, "Yep, I don't care about the human rights violations. I just want the dollars." So I just get mad at those all those guys who are just like, "Oh, it's okay to take the mu- blood money." It's like, who cares? if They saw people's heads off. Yeah, and it's like either say you're okay with it or don't be okay with it. But this this world where you're just like, what do you want us to do about it? It seemed
3: like that thing was just dying like before it ever got going. Is it still like actually happening? Or oh, mean, it's happening.
1: Greg Norman it's happening. says it's still on.
3: It's all these old people are like cast offs from the PGA Tour is all that's signed up now at this point.
2: Yeah, so basically it's a bunch of guys who are teetering on the brink of playing champions Tour golf anyway, with a handful of big names like Bryson and Dustin Johnson. But when Phil took a big wet shit in the middle of the whole thing, they immediately backed away. Nobody knows for sure, but rumor has it that several of the, you know, some of the bigger names of the older guys, the Ian Poulters, the Lee Westwoods, those kind of guys had Had sort of agreed to it, maybe even signed contracts, so nobody's completely sure. But and then it went away for a hot minute. But the money's there; it's not going away. Like they've literally got half a billion dollars to throw at this. They're going to have tournaments. They they announced a tournament schedule. I think I can't remember. They got eight tournaments, six of which are on U.S. soil. I think it is. And I'm not passing judgment on it. Like, listen, if you want to look the other way for the human rights violations, that's fine. That's your everybody gets to live their own life the way they want to live it. You want to go cash a paycheck. That's fine, but don't pretend you're unaware or you like or Greg Norman, who's like, well, you know, they're letting women's eat in restaurants now. It's like, <laughs> wow, Greg, they're really moving <laughs> things forward. You know what I mean? And great. like, they only—they let me tell you what, their beheading numbers are, they, they've had them, you know, yeah. this year. Well, they've uh, beheaded to half as many people.
1: They're not letting them eat on tables. They still have to eat off the floor, but they're eating in the restaurants.
2: <laughs> right.
3: Honestly, they're I think some of these guys, guys, they have hanging from the light pole outside the restaurant. <laughs> yeah.
2: I mean, you got people like Rory who are obviously uncomfortable with a regime that, you know, doesn't just kill journalists, saws them up into pieces and puts them in different bags to carry them out of a hotel for instance, let's say. <laughs> right, you know what right. I mean? Some people have a bit worse problem with that. And then you got guys like DJ, and I love DJ, but he's a super aloof guy who is not probably over concerned with beheadings. He doesn't seem overly concerned with anything. So it it you know, he certainly fits the bill for a guy who's like, yeah, I'll go take their money. That goes back um,
3: but, to doing rails off the cart girl.
2: Yeah and, and like in Bryson DeChambeau is obviously probably the most self-involved arrogant shitbag the tour has to offer right now. <laughs> <laughs> and so it's not, it is not hard to believe that if they offered him, you know, if the rumors are true like 110 million dollars to come on board, like Bryson's like, yeah, a lot of people's principles will buckle under 110 million dollars, especially when you're t- talking about a guy like Bryson DeChambeau. Bryson DeChambeau's got more money than he can spend in a, in a lifetime already. And he's gonna make a a much, 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 much more. But imagine like a guy like Hayden Buckley. Maybe they come to him and offer him, you know, a fraction of that. Say, hey, Hayden, here's ten million dollars if you just come join the Saudi League. It'd be hard to be like, you know what? My career earnings right now are $1.2 million. And they're offering me $10 million for one season, and all I gotta do is look the other way while they execute people for shoplifting. Oh, maybe I can do that for a year. I don't want to pass like a huge amount of judgment. For me, I I love that Rory is like, it's just not worth it. But it's also easy for Rory to say that because Rory is a gajillionaire.
3: Right. I was going to say, you're talking, it's it's the same hat as Bryson. Like, Rory's got the cash to be able to say, fuck that.
2: I've often said a principle isn't a principle that's still been tested. You know, I think that I have a principle that says I wouldn't go to Saudi Arabia because it's a bunch of dirty blood money. But I've also never been put in a position. If somebody offered me $10 million, maybe I'd be like, "Mm," you know, maybe I'll just be a giant hypocrite and do exactly that.
1: So we've done it again. We finished two shows now. Congratulations to us. And uh, if you want to join in the party and follow us on social media, you can join us on Twitter. We're at a good Lie podcast. You can also send us your emails if you have questions for the show or if you'd like to participate in any way. We're at show at gmail.com. And we're going to be following along with some of the local events. And as the golf season starts to ramp up, we're really so early on that... As excited as we are about golf, it hasn't even started yet. So you know, I something I hope we get to do start doing British like course reviews. You know, what I mean, like obviously we could all start with our home. We all have
2: memberships to different courses in the area, and like hopefully we uh, we can get enough following that people want us to come play their courses for free, so we can tell our listeners all about how awesome they are
1: (laughs) (laughs) that's right that's right yeah i'm excited about that too i think we'll be bouncing around from some of these local golf courses too and trying to build free rounds out of them and uh, maybe promote their promote their courses while we do it
2: yeah so if you're listening bell reef you want three complete nobodies to uh review your course on their podcast that no one listens to i'm just saying
1: (laughs) yeah i would
2: love to come shoot 120 up there
3: here's your (laughs) opportunity
1: hey if you want somebody to lose wilson golf balls I'm your man.
2: That's not true. I play top flight.
1: <laughs> I'm a pinnacle do they man still myself. Make pinnacles. <laughs> I know that they do because when I'm hunting for my ball in the cabbage, <laughs> I see. I never, yeah, I, I never find a tailor-made.
3: I actually used him for the base for my driveway at my house.
2: <laughs> <laughs> I found a mojo the other day. I haven't seen one of those in a few years. Same.
3: Those yeah. were hot when they came out, man. Everybody wanted the Nike
1: mojo I'll tell you what. One is sort of like the bittersweet thing is whenever they burn off the weeds and the rough and you, you look and you just see golf ball after golf ball after golf ball. Yeah. But they're totally scorched on one side and you're like, oh, they're totally ruined. But there's a plethora of them. Colin, you golf with yeah. a bunch of guys, don't you, that are like they are way more into finding free golf balls than they are actually hitting the golf ball themselves and keeping score?
2: I play with a group of guys that literally we were on 17- and at this golf course and it had like a big like ditch in front of the um a deep ditch with weeds growing out of it like like cattails it was water down there but it was it was more like a uh, like a swamp than it was a pond or something we're teeing off and we couldn't see him in the ditch we get up there we're on the green putting and realize one of the guys in the groups ahead of us that we're playing with is in that ditch looking for golf balls he'd finished up (laughs) and walked all the way back to the ditch on 17 to look for golf balls i just thought Man, I know golf balls are expensive, but what are? I you just doing? got a
3: pack of those. My uncle, as a gift for Christmas, gave me a case of the vice balls, and I had never really played with those. They're uh, supposed to be a good ball, and they're quite a bit cheaper. And I've just played with them the last few times out, and it's it's a little hard to tell just because the greens aren't in like great condition as far as like the spin and stuff goes on them, but they seem to be really. I like them. They seem to be really good golf balls for quite a bit cheaper. I use Callaway super
2: soft
1: at this point. It's just cheap enough that you'll buy them, but just respectable enough that you don't feel like you're hitting a pinnacle.
2: Yeah. You know, if I'm playing with somebody they're like, Hey, he's hitting us Callaway, not a pinnacle, but they're also cheap enough that if I shank one and I'm like, eh, I'm not going to look for that. <laughs> yeah. That's the group. Those That group of guys I play with is blasphemy. Like I hit it six feet in some tall grass. I'm like, eh, And just, we'll drive on. He's like, do you want to go look for that? I'm like, no, I don't. Oh man, (laughs) I will look for a ball for about two minutes. And if I don't find it, I'm done. Well, that's why I'm like I. That's why I want to buy Pro V's. You know what I mean? Like I don't want to pay that much for golf balls. I'll feel compelled to look for them.
1: Yeah, <laughs> my wife gave me Pro V ones for Christmas, and I was like, "Well, that's really sweet of you, but like, I don't know when I'm going to use them because I'm going to feel terrible. every time that I lose one, you know what I mean? Like, oh,
3: that's typically what I play with, but like. At Metal Lake, I can generally play around without losing a ball. Or if I do, it's maybe one. I hit it in the water or something like that. So like it, I don't totally waste them. But like, we go to some of the other courses, like Eldon or Oak Hills or some of the other courses with a lot of woods around here. Those babies stay in the bag. We get out the stuff we found.
1: Besides the free rounds at these courses we're going to be recording our podcasts on, the other thing that I want to remind everyone is that uh, this thing is not a success until I get my free Scotty Cameron putter somehow. <laughs>
2: From your lips to God's ears, Brendan. Prayers up, prayers up.
1: (laughs) That's all right. That's right. (laughs) All right. Till next time, fellas. There's a lot of ways to win on the course, but if you don't have talent or luck, you can always count on a good lie. Jesus sunk a few of those putts for him.